there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian, I'm on the phone with Ashvin, and today we are talking about The Invisible Man from this year, 2020. Directed and written by Lee Wannell, starring Elizabeth Moss, Aldous Hodge, Michael Dorman, and Oliver Jackson Cohen. This is a movie about a woman who is tormented by an unseen foe that she believes to be her abusive ex. And if you're new to the show, we will spoil this movie. You can probably listen for the first 15 minutes or so before our little musical interlude, and then we'll start dropping spoilers. And Ashran, it's been about three weeks or a month since we recorded. I know. It's been, Feels been a, a minute. weird. Yeah, yeah, I know. Hopefully uh, we haven't lost too much of our chemistry that we've worked so hard to build up over the years. <laughs> that that weird awkward chemistry that we've spent so much time building up yeah exactly the mispronounced words the talks, <laughs> long talks about nothing fusion yeah confusion. general stupidity yeah seeing vincent price in every movie <laughs> i feel like i've gotten a little bit smarter since we last recorded but that's that's still not much yeah yeah incremental gains are happening did you get to watch any movies on your vacation uh, you know, I, I did, uh, oh, I saw Uncut Gems. Have you seen that? Oh, I still haven't seen that. Oh, it, it was really cool because I was in South America and, uh, down there their Netflix has like a bunch of other stuff. And so, uh, part of me the whole time just wanted to stay in and binge Netflix the whole time because like they, they have, uh, all the stuff that we don't have up here, including like oh, new yeah, movies. Interesting. Yeah. What, what about you? You seen anything good? Uh, yeah. You know, I didn't know that I saw that many things that really blew me away, but I caught up on some holes and stuff like that. Uh, horror uh, holes? Yeah, horror holes. Okay. My favorite movie I think I watched while you were gone was uh, Rabid, the mm-hmm. uh, recent movie. I think it was 2019 from the Saska sisters. They redid the David Cronenberg movie, Rabid, and it was really good. Oh, cool. It's a remake? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So I also watched David Cronenberg's Rabid for the first time. Yeah. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I haven't heard of that. I'll have to check that out. I would just skip the original, actually, and, and yeah. go straight to the remake. Yeah. That's how I always feel when uh, there's a movie uh, that was done more recently. Like, why go back to the source material when, obviously, <laughs> technology is better, there's probably more budget and all that stuff. Oh, uh, I'm growing. While you were gone, I've been growing more and more aware of all the things that people are probably screaming at us for. <laughs> You should yeah. just get a little bell to ding every time. I know. Uh, same thing with books. If, if there's a book and a movie's been made on it, why would you spend hours reading the book? Well, you, you just watch the movie, right? <laughs> that I disagree. I mean, the the book is... I don't know. I, I, I will say it's probably not very often that I see a movie, then realize there's a book about it, and go back and read the book. Yeah, yep. Uh, but, but are you yeah. ever like picking up a book and then someone's like, yo, there's a movie on that. And they're like, cool, I'll just save like a bunch of hours and just watch the movie. <laughs> no, no, I never do. I would never do that. Oh man. I, I think that's the uh, first question I ask myself every time I pick up a book. <laughs> uh, all right. Well enough putzing <laughs> around here. Yeah. Uh, so this is the invisible man is based on that 1897 novel by HG Wells. Speaking of books of the same name, the invisible man. And it was also originally made by Universal Studios, classic 1933 film, also called The Invisible Man. And I think they had like five more in that franchise that Universal did after oh. that. Mm-hmm. I think they went like through the 50s. Yep. Uh, this movie's been uh, it's been quite the buzz about this movie. Yeah, I almost feel like this is probably like the first big horror release of this year. Is that fair? Oh yeah, for sure. I, honestly, like so far from what I've seen in the theater, I was just really ready for something good. As much as I did like some of the movies we saw, like Underwater and uh, Gretel. Gretel and Hansel, but they're just, just very middling. Yeah, and for it, the like, most part. Mm-hmm. And box office wise, I mean, this one kind of blew those out of the water. Yeah, God. And then there was famously The Turning and The Grudge. Didn't both of those get F yeah. cinema scores? I think so. Yeah, <laughs> those have all been pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah I, I still like the turning even. But anyway, the point mm-hmm. being, this I think truly was the big first big horror moment of 2020, theatrically, theatric, theatrically at least. Yeah, I feel like they're kind of bringing a powerhouse between like the director, the cast, uh, the production, the studio, and everything. I feel like it was uh, a lot went into this film. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, Lee Wanell uh, wrote Saw, um, and I think a couple of the sequels. He wrote Insidious 1 through 3 and Dead Silence. He directed Upgrade from, gosh, I guess that was two years. That was 2018 now. Yeah, like two years ago. Yeah, we still need to see that. Have you seen that? Uh, I saw it. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, I was wondering if you thought that was a horror film, but it sounds like you haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. I mean, I'll just watch it on my own now that I know you've watched it. Yeah, it's it's weird. I thought it was like a more action sci-fi, but uh, who knows? Uh, but it's it's definitely interesting. You can see a lot of uh, overlap between these two movies. Right, right. That's what it sounds like. Um, yeah. So overall, this is. I mean, it's immensely popular. It's got. But this is data from the Monday after opening weekend uh, showed a 50 million worldwide box office on a reported 7 million budget, and it's got 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, that's crazy. It's doing really yeah. well. Uh, yeah. And, and a lot of like hype. I feel like everyone's like raving about it in general. Yeah, people are really talking it up. So I was a little bit nervous going in. I was trying to temper my expectations. I know. It's not the worst when people are like talking up something. <laughs> I know. I don't like that. I don't like to get my expectations up. I know. It's just you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. <laughs> While yeah. you were gone, I think we got a review. I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, they gave us four stars, but they're like great podcast, kind of monotone. <laughs> Man, who's setting them and up for like? I think you life? and I were talking about that too. How we just don't get excited. <laughs> yeah, I know. this is called uh, being an adult. You temper your expectations for everything, and then when it is slightly good, you have more to be excited about. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So I, I've been trying to not sound so much like I'm asleep during our episodes. It could be that that person had the expectation that this wouldn't be monotone, and so it's kind of on that person for having exactly. high expectations. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, I, our swamp, oh my god, swamp thing. Our creature from the Black Lagoon episode dropped today as we're recording this. So we talk about the Universal monsters a little bit there, but I can't remember if we mentioned in that one that Universal has essentially handed over the keys to Bloomhouse as far as rebooting these classic Universal monster movies. Right. And this is probably, this is a, well, I guess they, they started with the mummy and then they kind of uh, threw the idea away based on. Uh, or the whole thing stalled because that was such a terrible movie. Yeah, they kind of went back to the drawing board. I think the plan was to have a shared cinematic universe, like mm-hmm. inspired by Marvel, no doubt, to where these worlds and monsters could overlap and then be together in movies down the line. Yeah. Um, and build this whole world, but they now they've decided to just do one-offs. And based on the success of this, I'm sure that we'll be seeing more of these. Yeah, I saw something that there would be a spinoff from this that like Elizabeth Banks is working on, uh, The Invisible Woman. So I, I get that they're doing these like independently now, and there's not going to be overlap, but they are still doing spinoffs. Is that right? Uh, Elizabeth Banks or Elizabeth Moss? Uh, Banks. The Really? Yeah. That. I did not see that. Yeah, I think so. I think there's a movie coming out like next year, and it's supposed to be a spinoff from this uh, that Elizabeth Banks is like directing. I don't know if she's starring in it, but... And I also could be making this whole thing up too. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you it sounds like you're making this whole thing up, but yeah. maybe maybe you're right. All right, we'll find out. Yeah, do some yeah. post editing. <laughs> uh, could could be rumors. Um, yeah, so they did announce this movie a few years back, and Johnny Depp was supposed to be in the lead, and then they they dropped it after the Mummy. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, I mean, I, I love that they're bringing these classics back, uh, and, and, uh, with this one, um, you know, y- you mentioned like, you know, the, the movie came out like what in the fifties, the, the original one? Thirties. Thirties. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then there been, there was a number there and then I, I guess even Hollow Man kind of was a version and I think there was a TV show at some point. So there've been like other iterations on the storyline, but, uh, right. I think this is the first one where like the invisible man, uh, himself isn't like the main character. Is that right? Yeah, it's not from his point of view. Like this is the one. This one's from the victim's point of view. Yeah, which is really interesting. Yeah, I yeah. feel like I saw Hollow Man, but now I can't remember. Oh, with Kevin I feel like Bacon. I may have even seen the original, The Invisible Man, but I don't know for sure. Yeah. Okay. As long as you don't make us watch it, I think we're okay. Yeah. I mean, you, as you said, why, why bother watching the original or reading a book? <laughs> exactly. That's what remakes are for. 
uh, yeah, I, th- I think the Hollow Man uh, is famous for showing Kevin Bacon's dick, I guess. Uh, so if you haven't seen that, you should see it. Oh, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Check. <laughs> Go to uh, the movie, the 2019 movie Bliss for your testicle cravings, <laughs> yeah. and then back to Hollow Man for the penis. <laughs> We're hitting all the boxes. Yeah. I don't know where you could find another testicle, though. We'll have to think about that. I know. We need to find that matching sex. The matching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I swear I had two of these. <laughs> uh, hey, what are your thoughts um, on uh, Blumhouse? Like, uh, I, they, earlier this year, they did um, Fantasy Island, which I, I think was a disaster. Uh, last year, I think they put out a... They've been putting out, like I guess, every year, like a bunch of low-budget movies. They had, like, TV series. Uh, most of their big successes have been, like, uh, remakes like Halloween and, like, the Purge series, Happy Death Day. Do, do you like this uh, studio? I mean, yeah, sure. You know, the people talk about A24 like they shit gold too, but, well, I guess you're not talking about Blumhouse like they shit gold, but... No. You may not realize it with A24, but they put out a lot of movies that are kind of off the radar or an average too. Like, yeah, they're just taking chances on cool stuff. Yeah, you don't think they push the envelope a little bit more, like all their work, like even if it's not great... There's like a, a degree of like artistic originality that they bring to it, whereas I feel like Blumhouse is favoring quantity now over like originality or art, 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 art ability, artisticness. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I, that's fair. And I mean, the A twenty four is not exclusively an, a horror outlet, and Blumhouse, Blumhouse, I think so far is, but I think they've they're trying to branch out. I think so. Yeah, they're trying to dabble in some other areas. Yeah, and A24 does have an artistic bent for sure. Yeah. But I think, I don't know if you can judge, I can't e- easily judge Blumhouse as a studio. Like, yeah. They've put out some great movies and some garbage too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's hard to judge a, a studio overall. I, I just feel like, uh, you know, they started in like the early 2000s with like low budget paranormal activity and showing that like those movies could be successes. And then if you just look at like the last few years, all their movies are like somewhere between five to 10 million in uh, budget. And, like, a few of them actually, like, you know, succeed and, like, hit, like, these huge box office numbers. And I just feel like they're playing, like, a volume game at some point. Right. Like, if you take the, uh, if we're not talking about, like, criticism, whether or not they make good movies or not, like, financially, it is a good, it's a good model for them so far, it seems. Like, yeah, yeah, these low to middle range budgets and they're not doing any giant movies, but some of their movies hit it big. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess that's, like, a conservative way to play it. Not, not not a bad strategy. I mean, even Get Out. Get Out was a co-production between Blumhouse right. and uh, Monkey Paw, right? If yeah. If I remember correctly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, no, you're that's right. A big, big ass movie, and that's that's artsy as shit, yo. Yeah. I mean, not not. I mean, it's pop, but. Yeah, but it's it's, it's original, for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, that's true. I think, I think you're right. They they definitely had their success, and like uh, they have had original stuff. Um, I, I got a little bummed out uh, with like the TV. Uh, did you watch like a lot of the the streaming stuff they did last year, the Into the Dark series? No, I've been really, I haven't really um, gotten on board with horror TV for whatever reason. Aside from Shutter's Creep Show, I just yeah, I don't want to commit that many hours to something. Yeah, yeah, I've sure. got too many movie holes to fill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's probably a safe bet. But I, I saw maybe like two or three of them and. They, they were decent, and uh, I, I just feel like they're trying to be everywhere now. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, that, that's not a terrible strategy, and it's definitely boosting their household uh, appeal. Yeah. By the way, I'm trying so hard not to be monotone that I think I said artistic as shit, yo, back there. <laughs> yeah. Look at us. We're expanding audiences. <laughs> Creep back into my monotone hole now. <laughs> it's funny because I'll feel like I'm going bonkers, like in the... Uh, in my little podcasting closet, and I'm like, oh, that's going to sound crazy. And then I'm like, oh, no, I just sound like a normal <laughs> it's human with a normal energy level. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it takes sometimes, man. Like, I feel like we've, we push ourselves pretty hard, and it just that's how you're actually normally supposed to sound. Yeah. <laughs> just, I know, we got to start doing cocaine before these episodes or something. Uh, yeah, or some bliss, whatever that was. Yeah, exactly. Did we figure out what drug that was? Uh, No. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Although it was comforting because uh, someone on Twitter or uh, Discord, I think maybe it was George, was like, I'm not totally sure what drug it was either. At least oh. that was the impression I got from him. Oh, great. Okay. 
Cool. I may have been more confused after my conversation with them. <laughs> all right, there's only one way to find out. We just got to hit the streets. Just do all the drugs. Yeah, exactly. Do all the bumps and rails we can. Totally. Let's do it, man. Um, okay, man. Any other background on this movie before we start to uh, transition into the spoilers and go through the plot and review it a bit as we go? Uh, last thing, I just want to get your take on Elizabeth Moss. Are you, are you a fan of hers? I am a fan of hers, yes. Although I did not really get into Mad Men, though I have seen a decent amount of episodes. And I have not watched Handmaid's Tale aside from like over my wife's shoulder as I'm like passing through the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, how about you? Are you a fan of her? Uh, you know, exactly the same. I feel like I've seen a few Mad uh, Men. I've uh, seen like an episode or two of Handmaid's Tale. I, I liked her in Us. I just feel like, yeah, every, th- every time I see her on screen, uh, there's like something really natural about her, and she's able to like jump jump into these different roles really well. So it, it was nice to see like her get this much screen time and like be a main yeah, character. Yeah, God, I feel like she has one of the best moments in Us, or like one of the most haunting. Oh, <laughs> it just makes my skin crawl. Her facial expressions during that scene. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely a highlight of that movie. Oh, um, d- Lee Wanell in an interview said basically, you can see what she's thinking. Like, yeah, she, you can always tell. She's just very good at communicating without dialogue. Yeah, yeah. To the viewer, without being like over the top. Sure. Yeah. Very like natural facial expressions that are pretty communicative. Yep. Um, I was yeah. I, was, I didn't realize how many movies she's done. Like she's been doing movies for years, and I, I thought she was like some new uh, actress from Mad Men. But uh, did you ever see this movie, Suburban Commando, with like Hulk Hogan back in the nineties? <laughs> I feel like I probably did it a sleepover or something. Yeah, it was one of those movies. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess that was like one of her first roles as like a little girl in that one. It's All crazy. right. She probably picked up a lot of her acting chops from the Hulk. Yeah, yeah. That explains a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got a Ohio connection for us? Yeah. So uh, in terms of our release order, we're probably bouncing all over the place. But in real time, I'm from now on straight up relying on our friend Alex, who... Runs the Jukebox Tavern in Ohio City, neighborhood of Cleveland, Ohio. So if you're in Ohio, go check out Jukebox. Uh, he is our good friend and our official Ohio connection from now on. So I'm going to outsource these to him. Um, and here is the quote from Alex. The intellectual property for this movie comes from prolific British sci-fi writer H.G. Wells, whose works include The Time Machine, The Island of Dr. Moreau, and of course, The War of the Worlds. The infamous World of the Worlds radio broadcast on Halloween 1938 caused panic in many areas of the country. Fearing the aliens had finally come to take us, Jack Parr, who would go on to serve as the second host for NBC's The Tonight Show, was on the air that night for Cleveland's CBS affiliate WGAR. Calls poured into the station, Parr urging them, the world is not coming to an end. Trust me, when have I ever lied to you? (laughs) And Jack Parr was born in Canton, Ohio. That's awesome. Uh, wait, so he yeah. was he was on the the radio show, the uh, War of the Worlds. No, he was. <laughs> no, he was basically just like a news guy. Oh, saying to people, "Hey, like I know you heard that radio show, but that shit's not real." Got it. Yeah, yeah, nice. Cool it on the panic. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize the uh, same author uh, for Invisible Man is War of the Worlds. That's wild. Yeah, man. Uh, and the time machine's big. Yeah. Island Dr. Moreau was, I think, a 90s movie, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I think I've read... Boy, I think I read The Time Machine once upon a time, but I'll have to check some of H.G. Wells' stuff out. Yeah. And I'm sure you will, too. <laughs> I'll check out the movies. I can compare notes. <laughs> Uh, all right, man. Uh, let's get into the plot and review some stuff. Uh, can you hold on for one second, though? I, I can't find the rest of my notes for this episode. I think I may have left them on the printer or something. Oh, okay, sure. All right, cool. I'll be right back. Yep. Okay, man, I'm back. Hey, you find your notes? Yeah, you know, I ended up finding them in the attic. Oh, that's weird. Pretty creepy. Yeah. And, uh, I, I heard something while I was up there, and I just, like, threw some white paint at it. <laughs> and then I realized it was just my wife. <laughs> you threw some white paint at your wife. 
Jesus. I was in the attic earlier. I kind of forgot. I left my notes in there, and yeah, now my <laughs> wife is covered in white paint. That's a, natu- a natural way to greet someone when they come into the attic, because you just <laughs> white paint on them. <laughs> white or blue? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, man, that was, that was one of my favorite scenes in this movie. Yeah, it was great. Pretty iconic one, yeah. Uh, okay, so... We open the film. I won't go through the plot in serious detail, but I don't know. Maybe kind of. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, but we open with a pretty tense escape scene. Uh, our main char- character, Cecilia, played by Elizabeth Moss, is sneaking out of bed. She's drugged her sleeping husband. She grabs a packed bag, flees the ro- to the road uh, where her sister is scheduled to pick her up. And this house is like a museum. It's very cold and ultra modern and gigantic. Yeah, and, and oh, I, I think that that's like one of the biggest similarities to uh, Upgrade is that there's also like a, a similar kind of like house uh, that's just like this huge kind of a house you would imagine like some kind of billionaire living in. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, it's pretty clear that they're rich. Yeah, um, and I think we're already seeing what becomes a trademark of the movie is just the mastery of empty space and how the camera is used to just use the empty space for suspense. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, and, and that kind of caught me off guard cause it, it would just kind of like the camera would just like look at like an empty hallway and you're just like wondering what you're supposed to be seeing the whole time. And it does this throughout the movie where, uh, you just, you think like something's going on there, but you don't know for sure. And that's the suspenseful part of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, and I've listened to a couple of Lee One L interviews, and he's essentially like, early on in the process, I just decided we'd put the camera on nothing, like, yeah, and let the audience just wonder what the hell is there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's pretty effective. Um, yeah, certainly was. So she barely makes it into her sister's car. Uh, who comes? She comes, picks her up on this isolated, seems like a country road. Adrian, her husband, catches up, smashes the window. They get out of there, but she drops the drugs that she used on him into the road, and we see him pick up the pill bottle as the car speeds off. So cut to the near future. She is now staying with her sister's friend, James. I assumed he was her sister's friend. I couldn't quite get their relationship with him. I think so. I I think he he's a cop, and I think the sister is a cop, too. So oh, colleagues, potentially. Okay. Yeah, I think hmm. so. All right. So she's staying with James and his teenage daughter, uh, and she's super paranoid. She won't leave the house. She's convinced that Adrian will find her, which is why, I presume why she's not staying with her sister, because it would be too obvious. We Somewhere along the way here, we learn that Adrian is uh, the CEO or something of a tech-slash-optics company. Yeah. Um, so all the more reason to be paranoid. Yep. She reveals that Adrian used to hit her, among other things, as she says, um, and that he really wanted a child, which she says right after, among other things. So I kind of assumed he was, like, raping her. Mm. Oh, okay. Um, her sister drops in and tells her that Adrian has killed himself. Um, so then they together go see his brother Tom, who's representing Adrian's estate, they learn that she's now a millionaire. He left her like five million bucks or something. And we kind of learn that Tom, his brother, is a pretty big dick as well. Oh, and uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. He is. Yeah, he is yeah. a pretty big dick. Yeah. This is not Hollow Man. Yeah, right. We don't see any dicks. Yeah. Um, so she moves on, living life. She's still in James James's house. She buys... Or she gets a college account, essentially, for his daughter, like, as a way to repay them, and because she's rich now. Um, we first know something's up when she's just cooking. It's a normal day. She leaves the kitchen, and while she's gone, we see the knife she was using get swiped from the counter, and the flame on the stove gets cranked up so that the bacon she's cooking essentially catches fire. Yeah. Um, and I personally... And I've gone on record in this podcast in the past, hate it. It's just a pet peeve of mine, even though it's a perfectly feasible approach to a plot. I hate it when you're wondering if the character's just crazy the whole time. Yeah, yep. And I like that we saw this scene, because I was like, all right, there truly is an invisible man. That's interesting, because that's the one thing I wanted to knock, is like, I feel like they could have 
gone a little bit longer uh, with that like duality of like is it in her head or is this actually happening? And and at this point, like pretty early on, they cut that uh, that idea out pretty quick, right? Yeah, which I personally was glad for, but I can see your point of view. I yeah. think maybe there was some other creepy stuff that was happening in the house before we even saw that. There's one scene, I've, I don't know if this is before or after, where, like, she steps outside and, like, she can see her breath and we see, like, uh, someone, like, a breath next to hers. Uh, oh, yeah, that was that was a nice touch. I liked that. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Like, early on, they basically, like, spell it out that, like, there is an invisible man here. Yeah. And we build from here. Like, she she sees things. She hears things. The seeds are being sown now in James and his daughter's mind that she might be losing it because she's like screaming in the middle of the night and saying like there was someone in here. She's going um, to interviews and her stuff is missing. Yeah, she goes to a job interview and opens up her portfolio. I think she's an architect by trade and her portfolio is empty. And then she's like kind of panicky and she passes out there at the interview. We find out that she's been drugged with the same drug she dropped in the road, and that pill bottle appears in her bathroom with a bloody fingerprint on it. Yeah. Blood being from her ex's hand when he punched the window of his sister's car in the beginning scene where she's trying to get away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so my whole thought like during all this is like, yeah, these little things, the kitchen fire, the t- stealing of the interview stuff, uh, the drugging, obviously. Uh, they, and then like there's that scene where they're sleeping in bed and the blanket gets pulled off them at night. So you have this invisible man running around and I, I feel like he's doing these like little kind of more annoying pranks than like anything like substantial. Uh, is that, is that kind of rub you as a little funny? Um... No, not really, because it was just like, it was clear that he psychologically manipulated her in their relationship, and this was just like his ramp up to doing more of that now. Okay, so just like, I'm just going to fuck with you a little bit, and then it's going to escalate from here. Like, get ready. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think there's a deleted scene where he gives her a wet willy <laughs> and a, a wedgie. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that that would have made a lot more sense, yeah. <laughs> Transition would have made a lot more sense. A swirly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Um. We. Well, never mind. Uh, I'll save it for offline. Um, but I think things truly take a turn to the point where she can no longer get her life back when James's daughter. I can't remember her name now. Um. They're talking. They're like sitting inches from each other chatting and she gets punched in the face and she believes that it was Cecilia. Mm-hmm. So James is like intervening and they leave the house. He's like, I need to get my daughter somewhere safe. And when we come back, it's best that you're gone. Yeah. But Cecilia hangs out in the house. She's convinced he's in there. She corners herself into a corner and spreads coffee grounds on the floor, thinking she'll see him approach. And then What does she do? Call his phone and she hears it vibrate upstairs? Yeah, in the attic. In the attic. So she goes up in the attic and we get this really tense scene where she finds her drawings up there and she finds that kitchen knife and she finds his phone with photos he took of her while she was sleeping. Mm -hmm. And she's like going to escape the attic and throws this white paint as like onto where the ladder is that she used to climb up and we see the outline of his face. Yeah. And one, one so impor- if there is any doubt left, yeah, <laughs> yeah, this <laughs> seals the deal. Uh, yeah. Oh, one one important detail though is uh, when she finds the phone, uh, it, a text pops up, right? That's a surprise on it. Oh yeah, that is important. Yeah. Uh, which yeah, and then yeah, yeah, then she finds him on on the ladder, which I, that was so like surprising and shocking. Yeah, yeah, it was a good scene. It was a tense scene, and yeah, just. There's a lot of, like, camera panning going on. And this house she's in isn't this giant mansion, but it feels bigger than it is just because of the way they're using the camera. Yeah. And there's definitely been scenes where they hang on an empty space and you know he's there. Like... Yep. It's clear that that's where he's standing. Like, and the Lee Wan Ellen interview has said, we do that a lot and there's probably only 90% of the time it really is where he was. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, but I mean, that's such like a natural thing. Like, uh, I feel like that pr- that preys really well on like uh, human psychology when, uh, like, you're scared of the dark or something. Like, you th- you think you see something moving or you're sure something's there, and I feel like they capture yeah. that really well. Yep. Um, so after she throws the paint, she flees the house. Uh, she ends up going back home to her and Adrian's house and finds this suit 
that he had made in this like giant underground lab he has for his optics stuff or whatever. And she takes the suit. She meets her sister at a restaurant to try to oh. tell her about it. Hey, one one question though. Uh, when she's at that house, uh, she finds the suits, and then uh, she she I think she takes it into like a closet to hide it, right? The the suits. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think she stashes it in the house. And while she's there, the Invisible Man shows up. And I was a little confused on this scene because, like, he kind of, I think he knows she's there and he's, like, outside the closet. And then she somehow, like, swipes by him and, like, is able to escape. But I wasn't sure exactly how she did that. Were you? I don't remember this scene very well, to be honest. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's, like, hiding in the closet. Uh, He's right outside. She's in there. And I think... He opens the door and she like just somehow like she's she able she's able to escape and I just didn't get the details but if someone else knows mm. let me know maybe she wet willied him probably this is the wet willy part <laughs> that's what you're supposed to do if you see a wet <laughs> the whole time she was in the closet her finger was in her mouth getting yeah. extra wet <laughs> everyone knows that's how you defeat an invisible man <laughs> a series of wet willies even if you miss the ear it's still gross yeah I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Gross. Um, okay, uh, let's see. Oh, so she goes, oh my gosh, man, this scene. She goes to this restaurant to meet her sister in like a public place where she thinks it'll be safe. This whole movie, there's been like tension and s- something may be happening in that blank area of the screen, like the dead space. And yeah, you're afraid of all these things that don't ever end up happening. And then we're in the middle of the scene. There's no real tension. All of a sudden, a knife is floating in the air. It gets put into her hand, and her sister's throat is slit. Yeah. Like, that That got me. Did it get you? Yeah, that was shocking. I mean, uh, yeah, you're right. There's so much tension, but, like, nothing like that had happened yet. And suddenly, like, this death, like, right in the middle of, of, a, of a restaurant. It's crazy. Right, and there had been, like, no violence yet, even. Um, um, she, it, she got thrown around a bit in the house, right? Yeah, yeah, but we hadn't seen any blood or gore. Yeah, yep. And all of a sudden, there's no even uh, suspenseful music to build up to it. It's just like, boom, and then blood everywhere. And yeah, everyone in the restaurant's freaking out as she's, she's like frozen, yeah. sitting there holding the knife. That was another part of it. Is like, I feel like uh, it happens so quick, and the knife's in her hand suddenly. And like, it even like takes like a few seconds for like even the rest of like the restaurant to catch on what's happening. And you're just like with her in those like three or four or five seconds. Like, being like, holy shit, like, what do I do? What's what's happened? And that, like, shock really hits you. Right. And her facial expressions the whole time are just, you know, on point for this character. Yeah. Yep. Um, so now things have taken a turn, clearly. She's put into a mental hospital. She learns while she's there that she's pregnant with his baby, presumably. And his brother visits her while she's there and offers to make all this go away if she'll just have the baby and live as a family with Adrian. Hey, there was uh, something implied here, right? Because she was on birth control, but I think uh, he knew that and he'd like s- switch it out. Is that what was happening? Yeah, he's her brother or his brother was like, you think he wouldn't know that you you were taking birth control? Like, yeah, he swapped those out. Oh, OK, OK. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Um, so she says no, she swipes a pen from him during this little meeting and she goes into the shower in her little cell or room and she basically says audibly, like, you're not going to get me or this baby and slits her wrist. Mm -hmm. I think it's all a stunt to get him to reveal himself. Yeah. Uh, he tries to stop her so she kind of can, uh, guess where he is from his physical presence and hand on her trying to stop her and stabs him a bunch with this pen. Uh, I think, but I don't know if the water has anything to do with it or if it's just her puncturing the, puncturing the suit, but from now on the suit is malfunctioning. Yeah, it's kind of glitchy. It's like popping yeah, up. Yeah, like he's invisible 99% of the time, but every once in a while you'll get a flash of a partial, partial person outline in a suit. Yeah, I thought this effect was really cool. Like he, it was he, like kind of flashing in a way, like different parts of him. Yeah, it was really cool. And uh, dude, I, as much as we have our uh, dislikes of uh, about both of the My Bloody Valentine movies, I know we agreed that the minor outfit was scary, and this kind of reminded me of that. Uh, I could see that. Yeah, kind of all black. Yeah, or maybe like uh, the Foot Clan from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, yeah. Are they black or purple? 
I feel like they're purple, but yeah, kind of. Uh, they're purple in the cartoons, but black in the movies, I oh. think. Oh, yeah, right. The netting on the eyes or something. Yep. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so then we get this like crazy action sequence at the hospital with all this security staff approaching her and him, and he's just like beating the shit out of all of them and taking their guns and shooting them with it. Um, and this was, I've seen tiny clips of Upgrade. This was very Upgrade-esque. Oh, to me. yeah, sure. The action. Yeah, and actually our Alex, our Ohio Connection Alex, sent us a, an episode of a podcast called The Big Picture where they interview Lee Wanell and they talk about how this is like kind of his trademark. Oh, cool. Uh, did you listen to that? No, I didn't listen to it yet. All right, well, now Alex knows. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, but he talks about how they put an upgrade. I think they uh, upgraded that technology for this movie, but I think they somehow put an iPhone onto that main dude and then synced a camera to the iPhone so that the camera would move wherever the iPhone was. Oh, cool. So, like, as Lee Wanell described it in this interview, like, the center of gravity camera-wise now becomes that character. Oh, that's so, awesome. like, you don't see a character fall on the floor. You, like, fall on the floor with the character via the camera. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. It was pretty interesting to listen to him talk about it. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'll definitely have to listen to that. But, uh, yeah, it made this action sequence pretty great, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed this one. Yeah. Um, anyway, some lives are lost, some people are injured, but she flees the hospital, and um, there are now living victims who've witnessed an invisible man. Um, and before she finally gets away, he threatens that he's not going to kill her. Like if she keeps, you know, getting out of line, mm -hmm. he'll kill people she loves. Yep. So at this point, she now knows that he's after James's daughter. Uh, and she's, she steals a car and drives to James house and calls James on this car phone and said, whatever you call it, like how you can call people via navigation now. <laughs> um, and she's like, where's, where is she? Like, you got to get to her. She's in danger. By the time she gets to the house, when we've already seen some of this play out, the invisible man, Adrian, is there. And he is like, he has choked out the daughter. She's still alive. And now, like, as James is trying to save her, he's beating the crap out of James, like, to within an inch of his life. Yeah. She comes in with a uh, fire extinguisher, sprays him so she can see him, and shoots him a bunch of times. Uh, and that is that. And then she demasks him, and it is not Adrian. It's his brother. Yeah. Did you see this coming? I did not see that coming, no. Oh, uh, I, I, I did, and I, you know, I saw it with uh, Jason, and he kind of saw that coming, too. Because I feel like you saw their brother enough where it was like, why are they... Uh, Giving this guy so much screen time, and I had a right, feeling. Why is this brother so important? Yeah, yeah. And so, did I, you ever watch House of Cards? Uh, yeah, the TV show. Yeah, yeah. Dude, this brother really reminded me of the actor that plays the hacker guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. I could have sworn it was him. Uh, yeah, but he, this is a different actor, though, right? Yeah, different guy. Yeah. Different guy. Yeah, I could see this. Um, that. So. A bit of a conclusion here, and now the feds raid Adrian's house, and they find Adrian tied up in the basement. But she, Cecilia, is like, no, does not. It's this is not how it looks. Like Adrian was in charge the whole time, and he got his brother to do that, like and staged this whole being tied up in the house. Uh, so she gets James to come with her while she goes back to Adrian's house while she's wearing a wire and tries to get him to admit what he's done. He won't admit it, but he we hear him say the word surprise. And like out of context, he's like, did, did that really come as a surprise? And they like linger on that word. We saw it in that text that you made sure that we mentioned, Ash. Yep. And when she first gets put in the mental hospital, she's freaking out and they inject her with some kind of like relaxant and she passes out. And as she's passing out, we hear surprise like he's in the room with her and he says surprise and it's it matches the voice matches uh-huh and so we see like a tiny flash of recognition on her face like maybe it was just like the extra 
oomph she needed to be completely sure that it was him. Sure. Um, anyway, they're eating dinner. She leaves the table. And then we see on the dining room camera, because he's got cameras all over this house, he's holding a knife because they're eating steak, and he just slits his own throat. And then she comes onto the screen shocked. She calls 911, and then she backs up so the in-home camera can't see her, and she smirks at him knowingly and says, surprise. Yeah. And then things pretty much wrap up from there. Her and James have a moment where he basically, she kind of puts him in a shitty position where he knows she just murdered him. Yeah, because she's walking out with, like, the invisible uh, suit that she had stashed in the closet. Right. You see her with a duffel bag with the invisible suit in there. Yep. So he just has to, A, trust that she was right and that Adrian was a killer all along, and then, B, agree with her philosophy that he should be killed. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's asking a lot, but that's what friends are for. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That that whole surprise thing, and, and like, the internet, like, I had to look this up and, like, ask a few people. Like, I guess that surprise that he said, I think he says, like, nothing you can do would surprise me or something. And then, yeah, everyone's like, oh, she connected that back to the text message or, like, what she heard in the psych ward when she was drugged up. Uh, which, I mean, surprise is a word a lot of people use. I mean, do you buy that uh, he was, like, s- dropping a hint there for her? Like, like it was me, but I'm not going to say it. But I'm going to use this word that I say sometimes, and you're going to put it together? <laughs> I know whenever we give our kids a gift, instead of saying surprise, we say, Unexpected! <laughs> I don't think that many people say surprise. <laughs> That's true. It's it's a really strange word. It's kind of. <laughs> I mean, S U R P. Come on. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It's. I a, think it was just that the voice, and his like intonation was a perfect match. And I kind of thought, if James was kind of looking into this case on his own, which they implied that he was, mm-hmm. I'm sure there had to have been a video camera on her in the mental hospital. Yeah. And then at that point, you probably could have heard him say surprise on the footage. Yeah. And matched it up to the voice there. Have you seen detective work where they take two people saying surprise and uh, that's how they figure out who the killer is? <laughs> is, that, is that where we are? <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I, I just feel like it's very 2020. loose. Yeah. <laughs> we can do that now. Uh, I, I just felt like that's a very loose tie and a lot of people like giving... Uh, that like, oh, that was the sign right there. And I kind of like the version better where maybe he never like really confesses, but she's just following her own intuition and her own instinct that like it was this guy the whole time. And even if it wasn't like he deserves to die based on like everything he's like she's been through because of him. Uh, I, I kind of I kind of wish they'd like gone that route versus trying to tie it out with like some kind of vocal recognition on a word that's like pretty common anyway. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, but but you feel like it was in the, in the movie. I, it's it seems like they're trying to definitively say it was him for most of the time. Yeah, and I think it's maybe even a cue to the audience too. Like, hey, don't worry. Yeah, it was him. Why why don't they want you to worry? I mean, you know, t- take a take a risk there. Maybe, maybe you should worry because I feel like this whole movie is her uh, going from like kind of being a, a scared uh, individual who's like you know been through a lot to at the end like you know murdering someone. And what's wrong with her, like, killing someone because, you know, she, she hates them or whatever? <laughs> That's, what is wrong with murder? Yeah, like, really. <laughs> Especially if you can be invisible. We've all like, done it. Yeah. I mean, let's be real. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would have liked to, to see that kind of transformation. But I, I think you're right. I think it's, like, more for the audience to, like, calm them down and be like, yo, it was him. Yeah, I mean, I uh, this was a rare movie for me because I actually saw it with friends instead of alone. <laughs> and they both didn't like, and maybe th- this kind of ties into this a little bit, they didn't like that sh- it, the position that she left James in at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, so I do feel like I kind of agree with what you're saying. They could have just left it all up in the air, and I think they could have scrapped James even being there. Yeah, yeah, you're like, right. Why did he need to be there? Right. Maybe she just needed him to be there listening in be- for her own safety. I think so. Uh, I think I think between that, uh, I I, th- I had the impression that she was like setting James up. She's like, uh, "You're gonna be there. You're gonna have me tapped. I'm gonna go in there on the guys that were trying to get him to uh, confess." When really she knew she was going in there to kill him, and uh, maybe she just needed James to, like be there to like be that reason. Um, if like the cops wonder why she was there in the first place or something. I don't know. Right, right. Huh. I don't know. 
I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. Because, I mean, like, uh, you know, by, by going invisible, I mean, if someone goes back and looks at the videotapes uh, or whatever, they, they're going to see that uh, he killed himself. Right. But they'd also have to ignore the fact that there's a invisible man suit out there. That <laughs> Right. I mean, that, at this point in the movie, everyone, it should be, like, general knowledge that this dude found a way to be invisible. Yeah. So it could have been a reasonable assumption that she became invisible invisible to kill him exactly yeah i know i know you don't get away with that twice <laughs> really you already spoiled the fact that there's this invisible uh capability out there so they're really yeah. gonna buy uh this the suicide i don't know that's that's a tough one yeah you know what they say surprise me once shame on me <laughs> and then um, oh yeah so what do you think of this movie it sounds like there's some we're a little so-so on the ending but what do you think of this movie as a whole uh, as a whole, I mean, I, I agree with like a lot of the reviews out there. Like, amazing directing, great acting, pacing was fun, and like the his, uh, action sequence is really cool. Um, I loved like the visual work uh, and, and like the, some effective scares, like w- with the empty spaces, and then with some of the pop outs they did. I really loved that cinematography, music, all awesome. The one downer for me, and I don't know how you feel because I know you don't watch trailers, but I felt like a lot of this story was predictable. Like we knew that there was going to be an Invisible Man from the title, and then we knew it's like the boyfriend. Uh, and then I kind of felt like I knew it was the brother uh, at that part. Um, and then, yeah, I feel like the ending had a few holes in it. So I, I feel like the plot maybe had a few holes, but execution-wise, I, I thought it was pretty strong. Uh, what, what about you? Yeah, I think I would agree with you on uh, on most of those points. Uh, the other thing I would call out would be the score. I yeah. think it worked really well in tandem with the like panning camera and all the negative space. Like that electronic uh, loud music, or kind of like atmospheric? Yeah, electronic, yeah. yeah, and this dude, uh, Benjamin Walfish, he scored Hidden Figures, It, Lights Out, and Blade Runner 2049. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I thought the score was really good, and yeah, the, just like the camera work and how it set up the tension and, and the fear of things that weren't there, I thought was really effective. Yeah, that was amazing. And really, and especially keeping in mind with what you said, if if you are a person that thinks this plot was kind of not unimaginative, but you could have pieced it all together and gathered it from the previews and common sense, I, so much of the movie rested on Elizabeth Moss's shoulders, and I think she really did a good job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Like, I can't really imagine anybody else making this whole thing work. No, yeah. Yeah, her performance was incredible. Yeah, and I like her as a character. You know, she was a yeah. fully fleshed out character and had a satisfying arc. Yep. Uh, I really loved that it got surprisingly brutal out of nowhere. Like that's just, I, I audibly gasped in the theater when that sister's yeah. murder happened. Like that was cool. Yeah, I know that was that. That seems a real shock. Yeah, uh, and I thought the effects looked good too for like all these action sequences with an invisible man coming in and out of view. Like, yep. could looked a lot worse. It could have, yeah, yeah. They did a really good job on that. Uh, it wasn't like over the top or anything, and uh, yeah, the the whole costume was really cool. Yeah, agreed. Uh, I did you uh, like? I I feel like one of the things that we've seen uh, when we like look at remakes and stuff. And I think we talked about this in like Gretel and Hansel, uh, but sometimes like filmmakers aren't like modernizing it or putting their own like original creative twist. I, I, I think it's definitely worth calling out that uh, like the, the whole idea of like taking the victim's angle and like making her the main character versus the invisible man. Uh, I, I thought that was really genius on their part. Yeah. And I mean, this is really uh, topical with the, in our post me too world. Yeah. Um, but in that uh, big, or maybe it was a different interview. One else said like, he doesn't feel like he's the one to be any in any way a voice in that movement, mm-hmm. just being a man. Uh, and he said that it was just like the story just made sense with, with the premise. Yeah. Like, this is where you take this this story now. And I, th- I agree. It's a, it's a perfect setup. Yep. Yep. Um, one of the interesting things I thought this movie did too is it didn't spend a lot of time uh, on the villain. Like the, the main guy, like you see him for like a minute in the beginning maybe – um, and, and we get like very glimpses of him and then he's there at the end, I mean, uh, for a dinner scene, but for how little they showed him, I thought, uh, it was impressive. Like the presence he had over the whole film. I mean, I think that's mostly Elizabeth Moss and her acting, uh, that, that she captured like there's this like scary villain out there. That was impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like he did a good job too. Um, mm-hmm. Oliver Jackson Cohen, even though he really wasn't in it that much. Like, yeah. Yeah, something about his presence loomed large, even though you never really 
you saw his face for like I don't know five total minutes. I know, yeah, that's that's kind of a feat. Pretty good. Yeah. Um, do you feel like thematically? Uh, I saw a lot of similarities between this and like um, what Midsommar might have been going after. Uh, that kind of redemption story. Is, is it redemption or revenge? I, I don't know what you would call it, but that kind of like a, a awakening or transitioning or uh, that kind of. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Both, all of the above. Yeah, right. Like uh, someone going from like one uh, area of like being repressed and like abused to like becoming the uh, you know person in power, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, a, li- a little bit. Um, yeah, it's not quite a revenge story, but you know, redemption and, and triumph in the end. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fun to see. Yeah. Uh, okay, man. Well, zero to five floating butcher knives. What do you give this? <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't. It's so hard because I, I think just those plot holes and predictability of it uh, makes me want to give it a three and a half. But overall, it was, it was like a lot of fun to watch and and uh, you know I had a good time in the theater. So I think I'd go with a four. Uh, what about you? I go with a four point five. Ooh, that's high. Yeah, Impressive. I thought. I mean, especially seeing it in a in the theater, I thought it was a great all around experience. Um, and yeah, the, the only things keeping me from going to five would be, I, I couldn't quite, I didn't quite know what it was mm-hmm. that was keeping me from giving it a five. And I think that you might've hit the nail on the head with just some of the, the plot confusion and that last scene of just why, and, and it could have been done differently. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. There were also like a couple moments where I thought maybe it was kind of slow, even though I don't know, it was a pretty efficient movie, but. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it just wasn't it wasn't a perfect, flawless movie to me. Sure, yeah. Still very, very good. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, all right, man. Anything else? Uh, no, that's all I've got. Cool. All righty, folks. Well, that has been our episode on The Invisible Man. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, you could give us a five-star rating on iTunes. That would be nice. Um if you want to join the discussion, you can find our social links on our website, horrormovieclub.com. You can shoot us an email at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. We announce the next week's movie that we're going to cover on Facebook and Twitter, in case you want to follow us there and keep an eye out for that. Our logo is done by Amy Pop Art. Check her out on Etsy.com. She's got all sorts of great horror art for sale, and she'll turn your family portraits into pop art. Uh, they're great. And until next time, maybe just don't date anybody in the optics industry because they're inevitably up to creepy shit. <laughs> Wait, what's creepy about uh, 3D porn? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs>